taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress. To the city point, giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test. You know he's the one, yeah. Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress. To the city point, giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test. You know he's the one, yeah. Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress. To the city point, giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test. You know he's the one, yeah. Right. Let's uh, let's jump into some some word, a quick word of prayer, and then we'll jump right in. We're in a new series uh, that started last week entitled Christ Centered Careers. If it sounds familiar, it's because it is. Uh, this is our second go around with this series title and just thought that it would be appropriate to re-engage this concept. New sermons, uh, old sermon series title, but I want to engage it uh, to unpack it a bit more and to challenge us in fresh ways now that we're in this, um, this new phase of living in the world. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for giving us this chance to come together to hear your word. I pray that you will use me to just do, do some work that you want done today. I pray that you will let this be my act of worship. I pray that you will open up hearts, open up ears, open up minds to receive what you have to say today. I pray that I only speak those things that you have given me to say. And it will fall on deaf ears. It will fall flat unless you anoint it with the power of your spirit. And I pray that you will do that. Get me out of the way. I pray that as I pour out, you will pour back into me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 10 from the New International Version. Uh, Proverbs 11. Uh, verse 10, uh, just that one single verse, uh, Proverbs 11 and 10 says this, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Once again, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. That was Proverbs 11 and 10 from the New International Version. Last week, I was talking to a friend of mine who works for a company that will be acquiring another company soon. As my friend talked about it, it was evident the excitement and enthusiasm that he had about the prospect of this deal closing. Now, he does not own the company. He is not majority shareholder in the company, but he was excited about the deal happening which would surely take the company that he worked for to another level. Uh, the reason that my friend was looking forward with excitement for this acquisition is because the prosperity of the company he works for opens up new opportunities for him to grow and to thrive personally. Uh, this little anecdote helps me make sense out of Proverbs 11 and 10. Because the question is, why would the city rejoice when somebody else prospers? Why would the city rejoice when someone else does well? I want to submit that it's all wrapped up in the who. The Proverbs writer says, they rejoice not just when anybody prospers, but when the righteous prosper. And so I want to talk today about the value of you as righteous people prospering. And it's not so you can go stun on these fools. 
Instead, what you'll see from the text today is that the prosperity, the success of righteous people is cause for the city to rejoice because it can provide uplift and justice and peace and opportunity and prosperity, not just for you, but for the masses. Uh, the passage that we're looking at today comes from the book of Proverbs. And when you study the Proverbs, we must do so understanding and considering the genre of writing that it embodies. Proverbs is wisdom literature. It is not prophecy, but instead it is meant to convey just some wise words and meanings to its readers. Uh, the Psalms also fall into this category. So does Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs, and Job falls within this same genre of writing called wisdom literature. Uh, they are not always meant to be promises. They are not always even meant to be taken literally, but they are meant to be wise guidance for our lives. It, it is like when my grandfather used to say, a rolling stone gathers no moss. It, it was his way of saying that there is value in sticking with something for an extended period of time, being steady and being persistent. Or perhaps you've heard somebody in your family say you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. That, that was their way of giving you the wisdom that being nice and polite and gentle can get you further along in your agenda than if you are bitter, abrasive, and a, and a mean person. And so just as our family members, just as our elders share their wisdom to us through idioms that have been handed down from generations, many other cultures, including Jewish people, have done the same thing for centuries, if not millennia. And so when we have a book like Proverbs, we have this kind of wisdom literature. And so in Proverbs 11, the writer is providing effectively some wise words contrasting whom they call the righteous and the wicked. There's an interesting word here that is used for the righteous. In the original language, in, in, in the original language in which this scripture was written, which is Hebrew, the word that is used there is Sadiqim. In an article titled Rejoicing the City, Amy Sherman writes this. She says, the righteous or the Sadiqim are defined as those who are so in love with God and his kingdom that they steward everything that they have been given, their assets, their social position, their vocational skills, their power, their gifts, their prosperity, not for self-enrichment, not for the purpose of self-aggrandizement, but for the common good. They steward all the dimensions of their prosperity for the purposes of shalom, for the purposes of advancing God's justice and God's goodness. And when the people at the top of the city, the people with influence and opportunities and talents and power act like this, then of course the whole city rejoices. The people at the bottom rejoice because they benefit. By the way, the Sadiqim steward their gifts, they make life better for everyone, end quote. This is what the Proverbs writer has in mind when mentioning the righteous. And so in light of this fact, I want to just for a few minutes pull three things out of this passage for your consideration. First thing is that our prosperity is not just for us. Let's look again at the text. This time, let's look at verses 10 and 11. 
Verse 10 says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Verse 11 says, through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. What is evident in the text, and from the meaning of the word righteous, is that our prosperity, our doing well, ain't just for us. Uh, This connects directly to the idea of being Christ-centered in our careers. Now, there is a social responsibility that comes along with being a Christian whom God has allowed to ascend to any position that provides you with some economic or social or political power. And don't get me wrong, this is not reserved for those in the the C-suite or in the top tier of their organization. No, the task is for all of us to start looking at where we are, who we know, and start evaluating the institutions and the, the institutional and the professional capital that we possess, whether it is in the boardroom or the mailroom, the corner office or the warehouse dock. How can we use that relative amount of power that we have to make things better for somebody else? And so to do this, we have to push against those natural inclinations towards selfishness. That that tendency to care mainly and exclusively about me, myself, and mine, and realize that our prosperity is not just for us. Yeah, this is why the writer says the city rejoices. The reason that the city rejoices is because there is something about righteous people where they recognize a social responsibility for other people. So the city rejoices when righteous people advance in their careers in finance because it means that somebody is fighting for the disinvested to get access to capital. The city rejoices when righteous people are growing in their media or marketing career because now somebody is at the table now vying for positive images and narratives and stories about the marginalized. Somebody is there pushing for the overlook, saying, don't forget about this overlooked group in the marketplace that needs products, that needs services, and that needs the media to speak to them. Yeah, the city rejoices when righteous people are advancing in healthcare, in the academy, in the trades, in real estate development, in tech, in entrepreneurship, because what they bring with them is their ethics of compassion and peace and justice and equity. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Second thing that I see here in the text is that there can be virtue in pursuing economic political and social mobility. There's this phenomenon called survivor's remorse. It's where people who come from disadvantaged communities or families but have made it through all the obstacles, made it against the odds, make it out, but then feel guilty on the other side. One experiences feelings of resentment at the fact that they are one of the ones from the race or the ethnic group or the country of origin or the neighborhood or the family or the gender expression that made it. The question of why me can tend to linger in those kinds of people. The feeling even of guilt for even continuing to strive for more and to achieve more can start to set in. To be honest, I have often struggled with this. 
especially as a pastor. Vacillating between whether striving toward being successful and financially well off was virtuous or not. So many examples of wealth gone wrong. So many examples of power abused. So many examples of folks ascending ladders but leaving God behind them. And I've struggled with this because I'm naturally good at business. I'm an innovator. I'm a problem solver. And I enjoy the challenge of it. I get a thrill out of it. But I have struggled at times with whether there is indeed virtue in it. Let me tell you that passages like this liberate me. And I hope that it liberates anybody else here with the same struggles, wavering on whether there is nobility in your pursuit to grow your career, to grow your wealth, to grow your network, and to advance into higher social circles. The text for me opens up the floodgates, and it says, go. The text says unequivocally, go and climb and hustle and dream and advance and grow and expand and ascend and take your righteousness with you. Because we need more righteous check writers. The wicked can't, can't, hold, can't hold all the checkbooks. We need more of the righteous in positions of power. We need more of the righteous influencing company policies and investments and hiring practices. We need more righteous people thriving. The text pushes us that there is indeed virtue in pursuing economic, political, and social mobility. But the question is, what will you do with it? Another question is, what are you doing now with the influence and the power that you already have? Because you see right now we're in wealth practice, power practice, effectively making moves now in practice for what we'll do on another level if God allows in due season. You see, pulling funds and intellectual capital together right now for the community fund, for the cooperative economics initiative to give these $10,000 and $5,000 grants and to help uh, provide help for one another's businesses, that is effectively wealth and power practice for what we'll be able to do as God advances us in our lives and careers. And sure, what I'm saying is if you got an attitude about helping people's businesses with $10,000 and helping somebody as a church buy a house with $5,000, you ain't ready for power. You, 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 ain't, you, ain't, you ain't ready to be the Siddiquim. The city ain't rejoicing when you come up because your come up is about you. If you can't share in the small things, it's an ethic thing. It, it, is, it's, it, it, it is an ethic. It is an ethic. It is an ethic. Right now, it's small grants. In the future, God willing, it'll be a City Point Venture Capital Fund. What you do with what you have now is practice for what you will do later. What you are doing with your power and opportunity now is practice for what you'll do later. I believe it was in 1988, I was telling a board about this yesterday, uh, that the Concord Baptist Church of Christ in Brooklyn, New York, under the leadership of Dr. Gardner C. Taylor, launched what they call the Christ Fund. Uh, Concord is a church like City Point, but larger, uh, full of uh, a lot of people that there was economic diversity in the church, but also a lot of people that are doing really well in their lives. And so the Christ Fund was something that they created that was in an, an endowment. 
was created by this black historic church in Brooklyn in the 80s. Brooklyn in the 80s. Not gentrified Brooklyn, but Brooklyn in the 80s. And so they got together. They collectively raised a million dollars in 1988 to endow the Christ Fund. If you go look at their building right now, their building is old. It might be over 100 years old. They didn't raise a million to build a building. They raised a million for an endowment. They put it in this fund that they called the Christ Fund, and the goal was for the interest from the money to be used every year to provide grants for members of the congregation and the neighborhood. As of 2022, that million dollars has created another million dollars, which they've given away in grants and, 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 and other opportunities for folks, and that original million dollars is still in place. Let me say that again. What they brought together collectively, because of how they saw the opportunity created by whatever wealth that they had, that million dollars that they put in place has already has already created a million dollars that has been given away, but that original million dollars is still in place. A lot of those people that were part of putting that Christ fund together have since passed on, but their money is still doing the work. Once again, there is virtue in pursuing economic mobility. Let me bring this thing to a close by saying thoroughly and finally, this is a long point. That righteous culture runs counter to the pervasive wealth and power culture. Let me say furthermore that because of that, we need to learn and be held accountable over stewarding our power. When I was a kid, we used to watch Sesame Street. How many of y'all watched Sesame Street as a kid? How many of y'all remember on Sesame Street this segment called One of These Kids is Doing Their Own Thing? One of these kids is doing their own thing. Look at uh, uh, Gen Z, like, what are these things they're talking about? So there's, a, so there's this segment called One of These Kids is Doing Their Own Thing. And, and, and the game was meant to teach kids how to compare and contrast and be able to spot similarities. So in the game, there was always one kid who was doing something totally different than, than all of, of the other kids. And, and the goal of the game was to spot that kid out. Right? All the other kids were doing the same. One kid was doing something different. This is how it must be for the righteous, y'all. For those of you who would engage in Christ-centered careers, you got to be different from the pervasive wealth and power culture that is in this world, especially in this country. Because sharing is counterintuitive. Wealth and opportunity hoarding come easily and naturally. But we who are saved, we who are Christians, we have to march to a different drum. It is, it is okay to have nice things. It is okay to focus on yourself. The question is, who else are you helping? Who else are you helping through your career? Who else are you helping with your money? It is okay to stack money but some of what God has given you has to be used to significantly help other people. This is what it means to be Christ-centered in your career. We are stewards, managers. All of what we have, the opportunity, the money, all of it belongs to God. 
What God has given us is effectively the opportunities, the positions, the proximity, the resources to be used not just for our benefit, but also for the benefit of other people. And to do this, to think like this, it requires counter-cultural thinking. It also requires accountability. And so let me say lastly that that is why being a part of a church community is so vital because in the church you can find other people that are not only on a similar career trajectory, but you can also find people that you can have a real conversation with about how hard it is not to hoard out of fear of one day running out of money. It will take work to function in ways that are countercultural. But that is the value being in community with other people with the same values. I close with this. It's football season. And so that also means fantasy football season. Any fantasy football players here? No fantasy folks? I appreciate y'all being honest in church. Some of y'all doing praise and worship was making sure your lineup was set. Um, and so for those of you that are not familiar with fantasy football, the way that it works is that you draft a team of NFL players, and you compete against other people who have also drafted NFL players, and you compete against these people to see who accumulates the most points each week. And so you get your points when uh, your running back gets yards, or your wide receiver gets some yards, or your quarterback gets touchdowns, or your lineman gets a sack. You accumulate these points, and your goal is for your players to have accumulated more points than other people that you're competing against their players have, have done. And so the way that it works is fantasy football players will watch games throughout the day on Sunday, sometimes all day on Sunday from like after church until the end of Sunday night football at 1030 tonight. And then on Monday night, they watch the Monday night game. And then on Thursday night, they watch the Thursday night game and they are rooting for players to succeed who are not necessarily their favorite players, who are not necessarily even players on their home team. And depending on the commitment of the fantasy um, player, they might even root against their home team for the sake of their fantasy player doing well. You see their interests are tied up with the interests of the person on that fantasy team. So it is in society. We are fantasy athletes for the marginalized in society. We're on their team. Their interests are tied up in ours. If we do well, if we gain yards, if you go to work in tomorrow and score some touchdowns, the marginalized in society should rejoice, should benefit, because their interests are tied up in yours. You see, if we do well and we take our social responsibility seriously, if we live our faith genuinely and really engage in a Christ-centered career, then they do well too. And through this, we bring joy to the city. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for 
It's given us this chance to jump into your word today. Thank you for giving us this chance to be challenged, to consider what it means to be the Sadiqim, to be the righteous, to have opportunities and pathways and perhaps even present chance to thrive. Help us to see our social responsibility. That what we have, what you have given us, what you have allowed us to get ain't just for us. It's not just for stunting. It's not just for posting on socials, on the socials. So that we can also benefit other people. Help us through our work to make the invisible visible. Help us through our work to ease the suffering. To help create a society where there is peace, where there is justice, where there is compassion. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Passing every test now.